Japs, another mortgage advisor on for this week's episode. Looking forward to grilling him on rates, lenders and uh, everything that's going on with mortgages. I've known Tom for quite a few years, actually. Uh, Partners Financial Services is his business. Frankly, you've got much less choice available because much fewer lenders will accept a 20% deposit. Quite limited as well. Very limited. So that's just naturally going to push you up to a higher rate as well as having a higher rate category because you're putting in less deposit, you've got less choice. Uh, Tom Brown's been in the industry of mortgages for about 11 years. He's a really good guy, uh, helps loads of people, loads of telephone work. So he's anyone across the country is happy to pick up the phone and have a chat with. Uh, what are you guys looking forward to talking about from a mortgage point of view? Mike, I will go to you first. Yeah, Tom's a younger broker. So I want to know from him, how are we going to cut the jargon out? How are we going to make it more understandable for first-time buy-to-let investors and first-time buyers alike? And what people are coming into with? So what do people know when, when they turn up? And, and is that good for him? Is that bad for him? Is that making trouble? Is that useful? Mm. So we'll see. We will. Tristan? I just love having brokers on. Um, we, we have them every season. Um, and every single broker that we seem to have has a different opinion of the market and what's happening. So it'd be interesting to see what trends are going on and how he sees the market over the next six months or so. And I know Tom is going to share with us um, a way that lenders are now starting to get around the stress testing for buy-to-let mortgages. Uh, top slicing is the phrase, and he's going to cover that. So if you don't know what that is, this is definitely worth listening, listening to this episode just for that alone. Let's get him on. Tom, thank Hi. you for joining us on our podcast. Looking forward to this one. How are you? How's business? Yeah, really good. Thank you. It's good to be here. We've been talking about come and doing this for a long time. Yeah. So it's good to be here, good to be involved. Business is good. Market's obviously been fantastic for the last 18 months, two years. So it's been great to be a part of that. Um, and it's still rolling, still ticking over. So yeah, good news. We love having mortgage advisors on this podcast because it's really good to get an inside scoop on what lenders are doing, what trends are happening. And just every time we talk to a mortgage advisor, we get a different kind of insight into a different area of mortgages that I think a lot of the property investors and the landlords that are listening um, can take a lot from. So is there anything just off the bat that stands out at the moment that you're thinking, mm, that's interesting, that's that's new in the last couple of weeks or couple of months to comparison to the 11 years that you've been operating as a mortgage advisor? So good question. Um, obviously, everyone knows that rates have been increasing and going through the roof, certainly over the last six or seven months or so. Mm. Um, I remember doing five-year fixed rates last October, November last year at 0.99%, and now five-year fixed rates are three and a half, four percent for the for the same type of customer. In terms of trends, um, I think that I'm seeing a lot of younger first-time buyers out there, and that when I first started doing this i was seeing probably average age of first time buyers was maybe 29 to 33 something like that when that was you know 2011 2012 i would say now that the average age for a first time buyer is much lower i would say probably 24 to 26 27 yeah um i think that's probably a couple of factors i think first of all social media um a lot of people now of that age have been They've seen a lot of things on social media about why renting is a waste of money, mm-hmm. how they can get on the housing ladder as quickly as possible, how to save for a deposit. There's a lot more mortgage information out there than there was maybe 10 years ago. Um, and also, quite simply, family help. Like A lot of these first-time buyers, certainly around this area where it's an expensive part of the country, yeah. are getting a lot of help from parents, grandparents, and some of them getting pretty sizable deposits. 
to be able to help them onto the property ladder. Yeah. So I think that's the main thing I've noticed over the last months and even couple of years is that first time buyers are a lot younger than they used to be. And that makes me sound really old. That's a great point, though, because I haven't I haven't really acknowledged the fact of how much education is actually available for people on social media now. You know, the, some of the, the biggest TikTok followers that I see or Instagram followers are things like mortgage advisors and estate agents that are just offering out free advice. And you see a lot of the property investors as well that are super young, you know, going up and down the country and refurbing properties and refinancing them and growing portfolios that way before they've even had a job, some of them, straight out of uni. Yeah. So um, when I scroll through social media on the odd second I have to myself, I'll see two types of video, either golf or property and finance are the only two things I need because it knows what, what, I, what I look at all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like you said, every other person is property tips, mortgage tips, how to find how to finance and do other property and make a make a quick buck. So yeah. there is just so much information out there. And that is just being pushed, you know, if you do a if you do a Google search one time for, you know, mortgages or mortgage rates or whatever, that's going to be put through to every single platform you're looking at. And then it's going to push you lots of content on mortgages and property and there's just so much more information out there than there used to be you'll be certainly finding our podcast on there if you search that yeah it's everywhere now <laughs> it is now yeah just trying to help you see there we go there we go it's actually a stat that i saw i think it was this week and someone uh, highlighted the fact that millennials are now the fastest growing demographic of homeowner in the uk and 37 percent of 24 to 35 year olds now own a property so that totally links in with exactly what you've just said. Rings true. Yeah. And that's great. I think that's really good because that is one thing that the government have really tried to push is how do we get more people on the ladder? I think help to buy and the new homes have helped with that. And then in the last 18 months, obviously these 95% loan to values have, have had a massive impact as well in moving people from rented accommodation into being first time buyers. Um, maybe not what the investors of this podcast want to hear, but at least we know that that's where it where, where it's at at the moment. I think going back on where people are getting their advice from now, I know when I first started looking at properties, my I guess my idea of who a mortgage broker or who a financial advisor was, was someone in a sort of stuffy wood panel, dusty office. Um, and if you even think of the names of the big companies that do this kind of thing, St. James's Place, those sorts of businesses were always uh, maybe a little bit behind the times in their branding. And now everyone's looking on social media for their advice. What's a good tip for a landlord or a first time buyer when they're scrolling through social media? How do they fact check? How do they know this is real and this is this is absolute rubbish? Because I see some rubbish about overpayments on mortgages <laughs> on TikTok at the moment. Um, I think reviews are your greatest friend and that can ring true for when you're looking at all these all these um all these places as well if you're reading something from an account that happens to be a, a 22 year old kid talking about mortgages or overpayments you know it, it's unlikely that they're going to have any sort of knowledge to be able to back that up rather than just regurgitating what they've already read themselves on the internet um i think that again online there is just so much information out there in regards to customer reviews satisfaction um information that past people have used um that that can be your best place for is this person a reliable source and should i be listening to what this person has to say for themselves yeah i totally agree i think it is hard isn't it to siphon through when you've got all of that different information coming at you but i guess the key thing is take the information on board write down the questions 
and then go and see someone like you and have the chat with someone that's on the tools doing it properly, not just on socials? It's very rare nowadays. I will speak to anyone, first time buyer, next time buyer, buy to let investor, remortgage that says I haven't got a clue about mortgages. Yeah. So it's very rare, probably a handful this year, I would say. And don't get me wrong, that I enjoy speaking to those people because, again, right, a bit like golf. So if you if you go and play golf for a year, start golf and then you get some lessons, that golf instructor is going to have a nightmare getting you out of all those bad habits that you've been playing because you didn't know what you were doing. So it's going to take him even longer to teach you the right thing to do. Whereas if you uh, if you coming into it blind, you can just take on all the correct information from an expert straight away mm-hmm. rather than having some information of your mind that maybe isn't the best information that it could possibly be. So talking about a first-time investor, let's say someone's looking at 2023 and they're thinking, do you know what? I've got some money in the bank. Inflation means that effectively my money's worth less over the last 12 months than it is today. Uh, so next year, or I'm going to start my research now, but next year is the year that I'm going to invest in my first buy to let. And, you know, they don't have any sort of information. They haven't been on reels and TikToks and YouTube and they haven't got any any info or their own agenda at all. For someone that's looking to do that on a long term basis, pension type property, what advice would you give them at the moment, bearing in mind rates, economy, everything that's going on, obviously the threat of recession, what sort of advice would you give them around mortgages at the moment? What sort of products should they be looking at? Uh, So generally for first time investors, certainly uh, if they're a first time buyer as well, you mentioned sort of 23 to 25, I would say that the majority of investors that age are going to be first time buyers. Mm. Um, The general rules are you need at least a 25% deposit. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking to purchase a rental property, you generally need a larger deposit. It's generally around 25%. There are some lenders that will be able to do a 20% deposit, but normally it's 25. What's the difference in rates for a 20 and a 25? Normally they are quite a lot higher for 20% deposit um, because frankly, you've got much less choice available because much fewer lenders will accept a 20% deposit. Quite limited as well. Very limited. So that's just naturally going to push you up to a higher rate as well as having a higher rate category because you're putting in less deposit you've got less choice whole percent you reckon um probably not far off probably 0.7 0.8 something like that and yeah when when you're looking at a larger mortgage because we're in the the area of the country that we're in that's going to make a large difference to the the monthly interest payments so a good goal to aim for is 25 percent deposit um the majority of buy to let lenders if not all buy to let lenders uh, in this sort of scenario would require 25 uh sorry £25,000 a year in income. Okay. However, the way that mortgages are treated for first-time buyers, for landlords, will generally be something along the lines of the mortgage would need to be affordable if it was a residential mortgage. That's the general rule. So, so if, you're, if you're buying for buy-to-let, but it's also your first purchase, they almost look at it a little bit like you're a first-time buyer as well. They're looking at both elements. Essentially, yes. Yeah. So what they're trying to avoid is John, who's a first-time buyer, he earns 25 grand a year. He wants to buy a 500,000 pound house. He's got some inheritance. He can put down 25% deposit. He's going to get a buy to let mortgage and just move in himself. He can yeah. never get that as a residential mortgage. Mm. He's going to get it as a buy to let because you know he meets the minimum income of 25,000 a year. Mm. So the mortgage lender is just looking to avoid a situation where he takes out a buy to let mortgage but just moves in himself because he could never get the residential mortgage. I like John's style. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the main thing to be aware of that, yes, buy-to-let mortgage affordability works a little bit different, but when you're a first-time buyer, they'll generally want to see that you could afford it if you were buying it to live in. 
Okay. So. I've got a question that I asked someone yesterday. I asked an estate agent this yesterday, so it's hot on my mind. And I want to ask you as a, as a broker, do you, looking at the property market from um, 2020, when obviously the housing minister opened things back up, it went bonkers. We had the stamp duty holiday. Rates were, at that time, they weren't as low as they ended up being in 2020. If anything, they're not a million miles off what they were now, maybe 25% lower. But uh, they weren't. They weren't the zeros and the ones straight off the bat, were they? Yeah, so we're in a place where low deposit mortgages were really, really high. Yeah. So, low, again, not as high as where we are now, but low deposit mortgages were very high comparative to where they've been for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, the lower loan-to-value mortgages were, you know, your, your 1.2, your 1.5, something like that. So, very, very low to where we are now. So, if if the because the market went crazy then, but if we brought today's rates back then so if we said we had threes and three and a halfs and fours in 2020 going into 2021 but we still had the stamp duty holiday we still had the buzz of everyone couldn't go on holiday this that and the other do you think the market would have boomed in the way it did or do you think it just would have done that anyway because people wouldn't have known any different yeah i think so i, th I think that almost certainly for the time being the conversations that i'm having with people around mortgages are the mortgage costs what it costs it's not an ideal scenario if your mortgage payment is 1500 rather than a thousand, mm -hmm. but people want to move and the mortgage costs what it costs. So, you know, I'm having conversations now where, again, I've spoken to people three, four months ago. They said they're looking for a property. I've said the mortgage is going to be 800 pounds a month. They're coming back to me now to revisit the conversation. And I'm saying the mortgage is going to be a thousand pounds a month. And people are not saying, right, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not moving anymore. I'm putting it off because the mortgage is too expensive. I think for for these type of people and the people that have fueled the boom over the last 12 months, the mortgage costs what it costs. And they're just happy to sort of go along with it almost. I think they've been listening to your uh, statement. Today is the cheapest day to buy a property. So they just jumped it thereafter because they know <laughs> prices are going up. He's copyrighted that one now. Um, I, I, do, I do wonder, because when we're looking at buy-to-lets, we're looking at property investors, landlords growing their portfolios, I do wonder whether almost that boom and those low interest rates are actually irrelevant for the the day-to-day -day landlords. And it just brought a few extra people in that hadn't thought about it. A few business owners that have thought, wow, I can get a mortgage for 280 and rent it out for 1280. That's unbelievable. But they hadn't planned to do it. But the people that plan to do it, the people that have got savings pots that are always going to invest in 2022, 2023, they're going to invest in 2024, the mortgage costs what the mortgage costs, the house costs what the house costs. And actually, it's just a process of the way that they want to invest in capital to create assets, whether it's for tax reasons, for pension reasons, or just because they know that leaving money in the bank is irrelevant. So I do wonder, actually, whether rates, whatever they do today and in the next 18 months, it doesn't actually have a drastic impact on buy to let purchases. I don't know what you think on that, Mike, because that's something that you probably talk to a lot of people about. I think it's probably true of any investment, isn't it? If yeah. it's, there's going to be a core percentage of people who will buy those investments anyway for the long term return. And if things take a huge bounce, you'll get people who just jump into it because they can see the opportunity because they've got a bit of bravery about them that just says I can't not do this right here right now because it just looks so good mm. and there's no downsides to it which 
a year ago, there were no downsides to getting a buy-to-let mortgage at 0.99 or 1.1% because it's just a, it was literally a license to print money. The house prices are going up and I'm borrowing money for free. So why wouldn't I jump on board that little train? Yeah. So like you say, those, those people will come and go as opportunities come and go or they have a big pile of dividends in their bank account or they don't to to spend but the, the core people who build up money to refinance and then rebuy over and over and over again will will always be there and like you say it would just be more profitable one year and less profitable the next year but they're on a course of building a, a pile of assets rather than am i going to make 200 pounds or 250 pounds profit from my buy to let this month i don't think that's ever really something that those that, that core of people really care about it's more about building assets yeah i, t- I totally agree with lenders tom um when we're talking buy to let mortgages are there any challenges that lenders are looking at at the moment is there any frustrations that lenders have got is there any is there any new hoops that people have got to jump through from a buy to let mortgage point of view not really new hoops the main frustration for any mortgage advisor with buy to let mortgages is going to be the required rent Every single time the required rent is a hurdle with some of the lenders because the the new regulation brought into buy to lets in 2017 about tax and all, all the changes that were brought in then meant that essentially lenders increase the amount of rent that you need to have. Mm-hmm. And if you're a higher rate taxpayer, you need much more rent than a lower rate taxpayer. Generally, the, the people that I speak to investors are going to be higher rate taxpayers. So that means the rents they need are frankly, astronomical and 25 to 30% above what's realistic for that property. So that's the difficulty. Um, There is uh, something in industry called top slicing, um, which is really helpful, which is where, let's say, for example, the lender says you need £1,500 of rent for a property. The property is only going to generate £1,000 a month in rent. That mortgage lender can use your personal income and your disposable income to say that you can make up that surplus yourself if needs be. So if you're you're a person that earns £100,000 a year with no outgoings, mm-hmm. we could reasonably say that if push comes to shove, you could make up that £500 rental surplus yourself between what the lender says you, you need and what you're going to actually get. So if someone's got a, a surplus of two, two and a half grand a month on their take home after bills, this, that and the other, yeah. and they need to make up £200 on the rent, there's a good chance you'll still be okay even with the stress test on the rent. A hundred percent. So it's an industry, sorry, an area of the industry that more and more lenders have entered into over the last four or five years, mm. probably six or seven years ago. It was very, very niche. I could probably think of two or three lenders that would have done it maybe six or seven years ago. But now there's probably a good 10 or 12 lenders that will let you do that, where if your personal income is good, your outgoings are low, they can see that you've got enough surplus to, to make up that shortfall if needs be. I'm surprised it's being required considering how high rents are at the moment. So we're getting substantially over the asking price and marketing at prices that you would never have thought they would achieve. Like a property at fifteen hundred will be getting eighteen hundred on some cases. So I'll, I'll just give you a scenario at the moment. What I was working on this morning before I came here, I'm looking to do a, a buy to let remortgage for a landlord. Property's worth half a million. Mortgagee um, owes is about three fifty. She gets rent of seventeen hundred pounds a month. I'm having real, real difficulty finding lenders to take it on. So remortgage, pound for pound, no additional borrowing. She's an additional rate taxpayer, £1,700 a month in rent. I'm having real difficulty finding a lender 
that will accept that level of mortgage with that level of rent, even though there's no additional borrowing. Do you know how long the tenant's been in? Uh, tenant's been in for, it's a corporate let. Uh, tenant's been in for about 12 months. They got two years left on the tenancy. Yeah, um, they got two years is not too much, but I would imagine they're probably underpaying on the rent by the sounds of it. If you've got half a million pound house at 1750, I would have thought it'd probably be a little bit more than that at the moment, but that's a great- It's, not, it's not, they're not in Oakley area, it's in um, Oxford, if that mm. makes, a, makes a difference, but- um, So you'll just, be utilizing top slicing on that? Yeah, but again, it's difficult. So this particular client of mine, she, yes, she's um, additional rate taxpayer. She's got two other rental properties. She's got a large residential mortgage on her home. Um, she's got kids, so pays monthly childcare commitments. So even though the personal income is there because there's high levels of other outgoings, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily something that the top slicing will be good for because she potentially hasn't got that spare month to month income. Right. So yeah, it's very, very complicated formula for every lender about whether they can utilize some of this extra income. And the worst case scenario for her? Worst case scenario for her is the mortgage comes up for renewal, I think in uh, February or March, the only option will be to take what they call a product transfer with her existing lender. So to potentially keep her with her existing lender at one of the rates they offer for existing customers. Mm -hmm. As we all know, existing customers don't tend to be treated as well as new customers in terms Crazy, of rates yeah. or offers. So we might have to end up taking a rate that's 0 0.4, 0 0.5 higher than what we get elsewhere because we can't get a new lender to do the lending. Interesting. Tristan, you've always got three great questions for people at the end of this podcast. I'm intrigued to know the answers to these. I'm interested to know as well, but um, something we ask uh, all of our guests is uh, some personal questions. All so right. take your business hat off. Not that and... personal. <laughs> 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 um, but basically just take your business hat off and speak freely. We won't hold you to it okay. to a certain extent, but we may do depending on what you say. But the first one is, where do you see the property market going in the next six months? Good question. What, what a question. Um, I think that the days of someone putting a house on the market for 450 and selling for 480 probably coming to an end. I think that there are still so few houses on the market and still so many buyers out there that the, the demand will prop prices up certainly for the next three to six months. I think that things will keep going at a good pace, not maybe not necessarily at the rate they've been going for the last 18 to 24 months. I think we will all agree that 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 had to end at some point soon. But I still do think there's a massive disparity between the number of buyers and the amount of stock on the market. Um, and I think that will keep everything going for a good pace for at least the next six months. We all know the new year's busy as well. We all know that January is a massive, massive month for new houses coming onto the market. Um, so I'm sure at that point as well, when loads of new houses hit the market, that will be a, a flurry of interest as always is in the first couple of weeks of January. 57,000 house sales were agreed in August, which is up just under 1% on July. So live actual sale agreed for last month, even with all of the negative press that you might see on BBC or Sky, still more house sale agreeds. And that's not historic land reg data on completions, that's actual sale agreeds. But then I say, I say it, I've said it on a few podcasts recently, but supply and demand, if there's too much demand and not enough supply, it's gonna push prices up anyway. And we've seen that with lettings. Uh, listed a free bedroom the other day, I've got 15 viewings lined up for Monday. It's, uh, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I've still got so many buyers in my book where they're looking for houses, and they've been looking for three, four months. They just can't get an offer accepted because there's so much demand out there. Yeah. And like you say, with simple economics, when, when that's going to go on, 
you're going to find that the prices are stay at a reasonable level because people want to buy and there's not enough houses. Definitely. So if you invest in the perfect buy to let deal tomorrow, what does that look like to you? So it pretty much has to be a five year fixed rate, presuming that you're investing in property for the long term, which a lot of property investors will or pretty much all property investors will. We talked about the rent earlier and how much rent is required in general. The rent a property needs to get on a five year fixed rate is much lower than a two year fixed rate. So it would generally have to be a five year fixed rate just to meet the rental requirement of that lender. Um, a lot of lenders do fees in two categories. They either do pound note, flat pound note fees or percentage fees. Generally, for larger mortgage amounts, flat pound note fees will work out a lot better as you might have a product where you'd be looking at a £2,000 fee or a fee that was 2% of the mortgage amount. And that generally, certainly around this area, is going to be four or £5,000. So it's important to weigh up not just the headline rate, but the fees that are being charged as part of that deal. Um, I wouldn't be paying valuation fees, I don't think, still as part of this, um, as part of these buy-to-let mortgage products. It's, it is rare now, but some lenders will still charge valuation fees, and these can be anywhere between £300 and £700. You know, if the rent if the value as estimate of the rent is lower than what you need to make that property work, then you're not getting that money back if you don't proceed with that lender. So I'd be looking at obviously a good rate, more than likely a five-year fixed rate if it is a long-term investment, a good fee structure. So to make sure that it's a reasonable arrangement fee um, and generally a free valuation. And if you were to specify a specific buy-to-let property that you would invest in personally, what would that be? Would that be a family home? Would that be a HMO? What, what what style of property would you go for? Well, I mean, look, HMOs have been shown to generate a lot more rent and could be a lot more profitable if you've got the time to put into them. And if you can stomach the fact that you are going to pay a much higher rate on your mortgage because it's a HMO. So obviously HMOs are fantastic for generating a higher level of income. I would say a family let is probably going to be a, a bit less hassle and it's going to generate a bit less rent. But yeah, I think so we generally have the easier life ticking the business over on a family let. So we're saying a family let for you. Family let for me. <laughs> Sounded like you were about going on the fence then. I, for me, I'm all about an easy life. I will do everything I can to have the easiest life possible and less hassle possible. So I, if I was buying a buy to let tomorrow, I would buy three, four bed house, get a family in there, a two year lease. Jobs are good. And just on one of the points going back, just ringing back to arrangement fees, the flat pounds and pence that you talk mm. about, buy to lets still good to add that to the loan? Or, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so generally, £2,000 is a standard arrangement fee yeah. for a buy-to-let. There are some that are 1000 sometimes even zero with a much higher rate. But in general, two grand. Yes, you can add them on. Um, you'll be paying interest for, on it for the life of the mortgage if you add it on. But it's not a cost necessarily that you need to find up front. You can generally add them on. Cool. So if you were to give the best piece of advice to a property investor listening to this show, what would that be? Bearing in mind, most investors that are listening or listeners that are listening on this show are thinking about getting in property for the first time and never done it before yeah so same as with with pretty much anyone my advice is going to be to speak to a broker as early in your journey as possible i spoke to a lot of investors over the last 12 months where their only inclination was to speak to their bank believe it or not you know we say that for first time buyers that they shouldn't be doing that heaven knows that is 10 times more important for an investor to, to get some proper advice. And because it, again, if you just speak to your bank or you do some research online, you 
the, the information is not going to be the whole picture. You're going to be getting 10, 20% maximum of the, of the total information available. So speak to someone as early as possible. They can discuss all the options in terms of personal name, limited company, HMO, you know, what type of property you need to buy, what rent will need to be. So all questions like that will just put you in the best possible position for when you're actually starting to, to buy your first investment property. Good advice. Get in early, get your advice early. There is never, I will never ever say to someone, you've called me too early. If, if you're looking to buy in two years time, great. Let's have a conversation. This is what you can do. This is what you'll be looking. Let's keep in touch every three months. Have a refresh of the market. This is where we are. Yep, you can still afford that level. How's everything going? Great, catch up again in three months. A lot of people plan two years in advance, but bloody hell, there's a lot that can change in two years. As we well know, we were joking about the fact that I haven't seen you for four days and what's happened in four days. So yeah, there's a lot that can change in that period of time. Um, Tom, great advice as always. Um, really appreciate you coming on the show. And yeah, if anyone wants to get in contact with Tom, obviously we'll put all of their contact details for Tom's business in the show notes. And anyone can feel free to reach out to us as well if, uh, if they want us to put them in contact. So thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me on, guys. Pleasure as ever. Tom's left the building, covered a lot there. Loved where we kicked off talking about how actually young buyers and buy-to-let investors as well are getting a lot of their information from social media at the moment. And he's actually found that he thinks that has sped up the process of people getting onto the ladder, which that's probably a subject that's not covered a lot because we have spoke about it's not taught in schools. It's not taught as a subject in the way it should be. But now people are looking on TikTok, they're looking on Instagram, they're looking on Facebook, they're looking on YouTube, and they're getting a wealth of knowledge from people that are experts in their field, which is giving people the confidence to buy property sooner. I thought that was a really cool way to kick off the show, actually, Mike. Yeah, definitely. I think from that, people are looking at people who look like them. Yeah. So if, if that sentence made sense, I'd be really impressed with myself. But if you're, if you're looking at someone who looks like you, who is doing it, it gives you confidence to do something, whether that's buy your first house or buy your first buy to let. And people tend to talk in the same language as those people. So the abundance of information is awesome, but you do have to just fact check that information yeah. because my favorite um, that goes around TikTok over and over again is people talking about overpaying mortgages about, I'll oh, make sure you're paying the principal loan and not the interest. It's garbage. But what it does tell you is people are talking about it and people are young, under 30, who are in, interested and motivated to do it, which is now showing in your stats. Yeah. And I think also it's a good point on fact checking and making sure that the channel you're listening to or the information you're getting is not US information, it's UK <laughs> information, because sometimes that can be quite conflicting. But use Tom to fact check that yeah. information. Yeah. That's that's kind of the gateway is is drawing you in to make you interested. Then find a Tom to to tell you what the what the rules are, what the limits are, what you can do, what you can't do and where you should be going. Well, we spoke about education on on a few occasions and like you said it's one thing that's not taught in school about how to buy a property. And that's partly why we we created the landlord podcast is to give education to those that want to invest in something different in property where you have an asset on the podcast there was so much good information that tom shared but the one piece of advice that he said is about when you're looking to take out a mortgage um and be careful of the arrangement fees look at pounds and pence rather than percentage because it could work out three or four thousand pounds more don't just look at the headline rate and five-year fixed are better more competitive than, yeah. than, than the, the two-year fix then that just shows that the banks are confident in the market which we're seeing quite more more and more each month 
I think when you do that calculation, a lot of people work out the difference of what the repayment's going to be on the mortgage and then how much that comes off over three years or five years. And is that coming to 2K or not? And then you make a decision based yeah. on that. But some people just feel more confident with adding the 2K to the loan and then having the lower mortgage rates just, just from their own perspective. They want the debt or the bills to be as low as possible and the rent to therefore have a nice margin to help them. But yeah, it's a great point. And I mentioned in the intro about top slicing, something that's really coming into the fold now with lenders over the last three or four years. Tom gave a really good explanation of how that works. And I think that's something which hopefully people would have taken a lot from this episode so absolutely loved it i'm sure we'll get tom on again soon wealth of knowledge over a decade's worth of experience next week we've got an absolute cracker so if you haven't subscribed to this channel subscribe and get the alert for next friday because it's going to be a blast that one i'm flicking through youtube and through spotify i don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on youtube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital yeah. gains tax and obviously your stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.